Welcome to the Catholic Truth Podcast, where we teach and preach the truth of the Catholic faith without compromise and without apology. We want to give you high energy and non-boring Catholicism, where anyone at any time can come to know exactly what the Catholic Church teaches and why. We do apologetics, spirituality, other religions, our culture, and more. Most of all, we want to inspire you, inform you, and help you to know, love, and live your Catholic faith with purpose and passion. We are Catholic Truth. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Mercier. Welcome to Catholic Truth. I'm the president here, and we want to help you to know your faith, love your faith, live your faith, and be set on fire for it, and even be able to defend it. Make sure to check out our show description notes below. We're going to be debunking Mike Winger and what he says about Mary. He says that Catholics can't pray to Mary, mostly because she's dead. And so let's see what he has to say. I'm not sure why, but he kind of stutters through a lot of the beginning of this. But be patient. Listen to what he says in this first section, and then we will answer it. How can I respond with scripture to Catholic, a Catholic friend who says, Mary's the mother of Jesus, so why wouldn't you seek help from her? Jesus wouldn't like you disrespecting his mom in any way. Let's analyze that, that thought process. So one of the things that's being, that's being said here is that I can ultimately, in Catholic theology, you can, I want to say you can pray to Mary because it feels and looks the same as prayer. Okay, some people go, well, I'm not praying, I'm asking her to pray. But not, okay, it's obviously more than that. But but let's say I think I can reach out to Mary, right, in the in, in her spiritual state, and she can hear me, and she can respond by basically having influence over Jesus. This is, this is classically how I understand it, or over God. I understand what he's doing here. He's trying to give the Catholic arguments that he's heard here. But I don't think that he does a very good job of addressing them. I don't think he does a good job of answering them. And in fact, he ends up contradicting himself a bit. Uh, and I don't think he even realizes it. And so I think one of his main points here at the very beginning is that Mary does not have influence over Jesus. And the way he understands it, as he says, as he understands it, is that Mary has influence over Jesus. And maybe the way he put it, Mike, don't you pray for other people? Don't you have influence over Jesus? Or don't we ask others to pray for us? You know, don't we ask them to have influence over Jesus? But I just don't like the way this is worded. Nobody really has influence over Jesus. I mean, Jesus is God. He influences us. We don't influence him. I mean, yes, maybe he'll listen to our prayers. Yes, maybe we can pray to him on behalf of others. But he's not going to answer something that's out of his will. It's not like Mary can strong arm him or make him do something that, you know, he's not planning to do. And yes, that kind of did happen at the wedding feast of Cana, but that's in the next section. We will talk about that in a minute. And yes, maybe some Catholics are to blame, you know, for poor theological reasoning or poor theological understandings, saying things like, oh, if Jesus doesn't give you what you want, then go ask Mary. Mary will obtain anything from you. Jesus listens to his mother. Look at the wedding feast of Cana. He listened to Mary, so he'll listen to her again. And so it's the same thing. They give these inaccurate presentations, which are not precisely worded, because we don't really think of that way. Oh, and some people use bad arguments, like, oh, if your father doesn't listen to you, then go to your mother and she'll talk to him. Yeah, if your dad's a tyrant, then yeah, go to your mom because she'll soften him up and maybe he'll listen to her. But God's not a tyrant. God is all loving. He knows more than anyone on every planet. He is infinitely more loving. He cares for us infinitely more than anyone else. And he wants to give us what's good more than anyone else. So to go to anyone else is just subpar. 
over God. I mean, obviously, God is the end result of all our prayers. Even if we ask Mary to pray for us, he's still the end result of all of our prayers. Just if, as if we ask a friend or family member to pray for us, he's still the end result of all of our prayers. So we're not influencing him. We're just interceding on behalf of one another, and that's the way we see Mary as well. Now, with that being said, the Bible does say that the prayer of the righteous man availeth much with God, meaning attains much with God. So the more righteous you are, the more you're going to attain with God. And I know that from my own life. I used to not really be a follower of Christ. I was lukewarm. Yeah, I went to church. Yes, I prayed, but my prayers were never answered. But then once Christ transformed my life and I was in him, filled with the Spirit, close to him, had a relationship with him, my prayers got answered so much more. First, because I was more in line with his will and asking for things that were more appropriate, not a million dollars, a car or a girlfriend, you know, and other things that were not of his will. But likewise, Mary and the saints and everyone else on the planet is the same way. Mary and the saints in heaven, their prayers are so powerful because they are perfected in Christ's righteousness. They're in heaven, perfected in him, perfected in his life. So their prayers are extremely powerful on our behalf. But with that being said, that does not mean that they can obtain for us things that aren't in God's plan. In fact, they are more conformed. They are perfectly conformed to God's will, and they would never pray for us or pray for anything on our behalf that is against God's will. We might want them to. We might want to, you know, try to come on, get Jesus to do this for us. But they only pray for what God's will is because they are perfectly conformed to him. And you might go, well, that just sounds wrong, but but hey, when I ask my friend to pray for me, I ask my wife to pray for me, hey, honey, please pray for me that I would dot, dot, dot. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not manipulating. I'm just asking, you know, I think she has influence with God, so I want her to pray. But the big difference here that's not being discussed is that Mary is is dead, right? Like her physical body died a long time ago. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to contact someone who has died. Now you might say, no, but she's not dead. She's alive forevermore. He who believes in me and dies, you know, won't die. And he who dies will live forever. So she's not really technically dead, but wait a minute. I mean, didn't like Samuel have that same hope? And yet it was wrong when Saul tried to call him up and he gets rebuked for it big time. And so, yeah, like this idea of contacting those who've died, it's a door that God wants closed. Like I'm not supposed to talk to people who aren't alive in the in the earth physically, I'm supposed to direct my prayers just to God. And if you look at the biblical teaching about contacting the dead and how it's consistently, don't you dare do this, and then it doesn't change in the New Testament. In this section, there are a, a bunch of issues here, but it all comes down to the fact that he kind of sort of contradicted himself, and I don't think he realized he did it, because he was giving Catholic arguments. One of the Catholic arguments is that, you know, well, Protestants say Mary's dead. Whereas Catholics say, no, Mary's not dead. And then he quotes John 11, you know, if anyone dies in me, Jesus says, because I am the light of the world, I am the resurrection and life. If anyone dies in me, he doesn't die, but he shall live. And he also could have quoted other parts of the Bible from Jesus too, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, some of who reject a resurrection and therefore the people are still in the grave. But what he says is that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So he quotes this passage, in a sense, affirming what Catholics say. But then he takes it backwards and he says, no, but the Bible says they're dead. And he has to go back to the Old Testament to prove that. The whole thrust of his entire argument in this video is that people in heaven are dead. 
People like Mary is dead. St. Joseph is dead. All the saints are dead. They're dead. Therefore, we can't communicate to them. We can't talk to them. We can't contact them. The Bible condemns this, he says. And, and he goes through the Old Testament. It shows that this is a bad thing. But then he says nothing has changed in the New Testament. But he failed to actually show that. See, there's no passage in the entire New Testament where it says that we cannot pray to the dead, talk to the dead, contact the dead. Why? All prohibitions against talking to the dead or contacting the dead are in the Old Testament because they were truly dead. They were in the ground. They were in the grave. Jesus had not died and risen yet. So therefore, they were still in their sins and they had to go to the waiting place. And the Bible says, and as Jehovah's Witnesses love to point out in the book of Ecclesiastes and other books, that they are not conscious, that they cannot think, that they cannot do anything because they're just dead. So they're rotting there in the grave. There's no way to contact them. And Mike himself brings up a story in the Old Testament where somebody called like a witch to conjure up the soul of a prophet so that he could seek his guidance and speak to him. Literally, she had to use like some dark black magic to get this to happen, which is obviously why the, the, the Bible condemns talking to the dead and necromancy and other things like that. However, we're not Jewish. We're not atheists. This was Old Testament. We are New Testament people. We are Christians. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus has conquered sin, conquered death, conquered hell, shattered death, meaning they're no longer dead anymore in the New Testament. We're not in the graves rotting unless you're part of the Church of God or a couple of the other small cults out there like Seventh-day Adventists and others who believe in soul sleep. Christians don't believe in soul sleep. We believe that people are alive in heaven. And if you look at Matthew 27, 52, right after Jesus rose from the dead, what happens? It says that the graves of those who were formerly asleep broke open. And they were seen walking around, meaning their graves were open. They were alive. They were walking around. They weren't dead anymore. Jesus freed us from death. He freed us from the grave. Old Testament, yeah, they're there because Jesus hadn't died. New Testament, they're alive. And they're alive in him. And in fact, in Revelation 6, 9, it shows the souls of those who are in heaven alive. Not just alive, but conscious. They're aware of what's going on and they remember things. So they're not just rotting in the grave. This is New Testament and there is a precedence for it. Mike says there's no precedence for this in the New Testament. But if you look at Revelation 5, 8, it shows the saints in heaven bringing the prayers of the saints on earth to God. And in Revelation 8, 3 through 4, it shows this, uh, the angels doing the exact same thing, bringing our prayers to God. Of course, this would be through Jesus because Jesus is the only mediator between God and man and he's the only one who goes to the Father on our behalf. But the Bible is clear that they bring our prayers prayers to God. So there's a huge difference between the Old Testament, where they are dead, and New Testament, where they're alive, set free from death, set free from the grave, and are alive and conscious, and in heaven. And the Bible says that we are going to be like God in Scripture. In fact, we're going to be like the angels. In fact, Corinthians says that right now we know in part, but someday we will know completely. We will know all things because we're going to be completely perfected in him, in his life, in his righteousness, in his power, in everything we are going to be in him. And I would just say that Mike has to be very careful too, saying there's no precedence for this in scripture because Protestants say that about other Protestants all the time. Calvinists say this about Lutherans. Lutherans say this about Calvinists. Pentecostals say this about Baptists and Baptists about Pentecostals and so on. But the bottom line is, if we follow this to its logical conclusion, it leads to a whole host of problems. First, 
The whole Protestant Reformation rebellion was founded on the sola scriptura argument, sola fide. There's no evidence for the Bible alone in scripture. There's no precedence for it. Nobody is sitting around reading the Bible for themselves trying to figure out what it means. There's no church going by a book only and using it as their final authority. There's no precedence for it whatsoever, but yet Mike believes it. Not to mention there's other things as well, like there's no precedence for worshiping in a church other than a house. There's no precedence for praise and worship music. There's no precedence for bands and strobe lights and everything in a church, you know, for worship. There's no precedence for getting rid of slavery. I mean, the Bible does not condemn slavery. And in fact, it says you can have slaves and you should treat them this way and this way. It does not say that you can get rid of slaves. There's no precedence for getting rid of slavery in the Bible. I mean, arguments can be made like this all day, but the bottom line is it's a dangerous thing to say there's no precedence for this in Scripture. Well, in this case, there is because we just showed you some. But then again, not everything is in Scripture. This itself has no precedence, that everything has to be found in Scripture for it to be true. That's just something that has no precedence whatsoever, zero percent. Nowhere does the Bible say that everything must be found in Scripture, or the Scripture is the final authority, or that we have to go by Scripture for something to be true. This is what Protestants do, but there's no precedence for it, which is a holy irony. Finally, I'll save you the hassle of watching the last section, but he goes into two different stories of influence where Mary has influence over Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana. And Catholics say, see, Jesus didn't want to do something, but Mary said, do it, and Jesus listened. Therefore, Jesus listens to his mother, which has truth to it, some truth to it. Another story he talks about comes from, I believe, Luke chapter 11 off the top of my head, where uh, Jesus uh, is talking to a whole lot of people in a house and it's full and Mary and his brothers brothers can't get there and Mary sends a message say hey I want to talk to Jesus and what does Jesus say when he hears that his mothers and his brothers have arrived he looks at the crowd and he says who are my brothers and my brothers and my sisters those who hear the word of God and keep it are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters and so Mike says, and other Protestants say, see, Mary has no influence over Jesus. She tried to see him. She made a request and he denied her. He said no. But of course, this is not true. Other Protestants go farther and say, see, this proves that Mary's not blessed. She has no sway whatsoever. She's nothing. I mean, literally, many people take it so far. And we made a whole video just on this topic, debunking the nonsense of it. It's a pretty poor argument, but, you know, we'll link that uh, video below if you would like to see it. But the bottom line is this. Number one, Mary did have influence over Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana. She did intercede, and Jesus listened to her after he said no. However, this had to be in the will of God because Jesus would not go against his father. He could not go against his father, so it had to be within the will of God. And God used Mary in some sense to tell Jesus to start his public ministry. Amazing that God used Mary to tell Jesus to do that. Like, wow, cool. Like, God can do that. And we can pray for each other to Jesus. However, the second story, he says, yes, but Mary had no influence over him. Except for the fact that the Bible does not say that. He's reading into Scripture what he thinks is there, but it's not there. Mike, let me ask you a question. When Jesus says, who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters? He says, those who do the will of God and keep it. Then what happened after that, Mike? What happened? See, the Bible does not tell us what happened. Mike assumes 
Jesus didn't go see her, but the Bible does not tell us. Jesus could well have gone and seen her right after that. Jesus could have well have acquiesced her request. Jesus could have even ushered her and said, oh, go bring her in to me. Any of these things could have happened, but we don't know because the Bible doesn't go on to say the rest of the story. It only stops and pauses to make a point that those who follow God's word and keep it are his disciples and his family. Truth. Mary would be the first one to amen that. So who are the ones who are blessed? Those who keep the word and follow it. So is Mary blessed? Yes, because she kept the word and followed it. She heard it, kept it, followed it, lived it. But the Bible also says in Luke 1.48 that she will be blessed for all generations. That's not said about me or you or Mike or anyone else. Mary is blessed for all generations. And she was blessed among women. So Mary is blessed. Absolutely. That's 100% biblical. But we don't know that Jesus rejected her. Here's what we do know. That he did listen to his mother at the wedding feast of Cana because we know the whole story and he listened to her. We don't know what happened in the Gospel of Luke because it just focuses on this point of who his brothers and sisters and mother are, those who hear the word of God and keep it. But we don't know what happened afterwards. So you can't say that he did not listen to his mother's request because we don't know. The Bible does not say. It's silent on the matter. Therefore, you can't add your own interpretation, your own opinion, or your own preconceived idea on that matter. Bottom line is it doesn't prove what Mike wants it to prove. And bottom line is his main thrust in all of this is that we can't pray to Mary and we can't pray to saints because they're dead. Except for the fact that we showed that all prohibitions in the Bible were in the Old Testament because we really were dead. But New Testament Christians are set free. They broke open from their graves. We're alive. We're in heaven. We know. We feel. And people say, yeah, but how can they hear everything at once? They're not omniscient. They're not omnipotent. And they don't need to be because God is. And it's God's power working in and through them. I mean, we could easily say, how did they raise from the dead? How could they be seen walking around? That's impossible. Of course it's impossible. It's God's power working in and through them. And it's God's power working in and through Mary and the saints, allowing them to hear our prayers as well. And this has been seen from the earliest days of Christianity, that the earliest Christians would beseech the intercession of the saints. And we don't see anybody for over 1,500 years saying, that's bad, you shouldn't do this. You know, like none of the earliest Christians said that. We all see a unanimous belief that interceding and asking people to intercede for you on earth and in heaven because we're all part of the body of Christ and even people in heaven are part of the body of Christ. And the Bible specifically says that those who are in the body of Christ can pray for one another. So clearly we can pray for one another and they can pray for us. So I hope this video has helped you. It was just a quick rebuttal, um, but I hope that it helped you answer this question that people have. And I hope that helped Mike to understand the difference between being dead and being alive from the Catholic point of view. If you like this video, then please like it. If you're new here, welcome. Please subscribe to our channel for many more awesome videos and check out our playlists. We have an apologetics playlist, spirituality playlist, love and relationships, atheism, different things like that. Check out our different playlists and our shorts. We're trying to put out a few different shorts a week. So check all that out, share it all with everybody and subscribe and smash that like button. Have you heard that recently? That was like so trendy for like a minute. Smash that like button. Go ahead, smash it. Um, but thanks for listening. Thanks for watching and God bless you.